end of the Perimeter Church podcast. Jesus commands us to love one another just as he loves us. Sounds easy, right? But it begs the question, how has he loved us? Teaching team member Jeff Norris starts a new series called Greater Love with this message entitled, What is Love? which covers John chapter 15 verses 12 to 17 and Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 to 8. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let me pray and we'll jump into the, the new series and what God has for us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. We, we are beyond words grateful for the ways in which you have provided certainly monetarily the way that you have given uh, and sustained this church but the way that you've provided uh, in the sense of of your kingdom going forth of disciples being made the glory of the lord being proclaimed and demonstrated to the to those around us in our communities and in the global outreaches uh, Lord, we, we thank you for all the ways in which you love us through Jesus. And God, we pray this morning that as we enter into this, this time together, that through your word and through your spirit here, that you would empower and strengthen us. That you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty of Christ and that you would shape us and mold us into your image. And pray for any who are here that perhaps they're visiting for the first time or new to even exploring Christianity, Lord, would you, would you give them insight and understanding as to who you are and to your gospel. We pray it all in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. So we're starting this new series that we've entitled Greater Love, and I've entitled this sermon for today, it's kind of an introductory sermon, setting up the series as a whole. I've entitled it What is Love, and I'm a little uh, grieved that I entitled it that because the whole week as I was working on it, all I could think was that song. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Over and over and over. I didn't like the song to begin with. um, And now I really don't like it. But maybe it makes you remember, what is love? What is love? How do we define love as Christians? I'm not going to lead you into kind of a an A plus B equals C definition of love today. More so what we're going to do is we're going to look at biblically what, how did Jesus love us? And that's where our answer is going to come from. How did Jesus love us? That's how we know what love is. So to set it up, I'll give you just a picture here that's somewhat of an analogy that leads us into what I want us to see as far as some dichotomy here of what, what we're aiming for. Uh, my office is right over here, and it overlooks this, uh, wh- whatever we call this, perimeter lake, or wh- whatever that is. And uh, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And I get lost in thought oftentimes. I'll be praying and just looking out the window. And, and, uh, but oftentimes, there have been many times where I, I get lost in thought. And for whatever reason, I, I think often, what would it be like to swim in that lake? I've never seen anybody swim in it. Now, uh, an eighth grader or, or a high schooler who's in our ministry here came up to me and he said, hey, the graduating eighth graders in, at perimeter school, it's become a tradition that we swim across the lake after we graduate from eighth grade. And I said, oh, that's, that's really cool. I didn't know that. And he said, yeah, it's, it's really nasty. <laughs> um, I had said in the first service, I said, I've never seen anybody 
swim in that lake and I, I wonder how nasty it is. I, I see our campers in the summer in a canoe on the bigger lake, but, but then it got me thinking, I don't really like swimming in lakes. I, I'm okay if we're out on a boat and we're out in the bigger part of the lake and we're maybe skiing or swimming out there, but when we're near the shoreline, I'm talking about a lake, a creek is fine, river, probably okay, but a lake, man, is stagnant. And you kind of start walking out, you know, and it's, it's like this gooey mud that comes up between your feet. You know what I'm talking about? And, and then you get out deep enough and the water gets colder. It was warm at the front and then all of a sudden it gets colder. And then, and then you find yourself swimming more kind of like this. Because <laughs> you don't want to extend that leg out as you swim. And that arm goes, what am I going to touch? Are there catfish down there? What's going to happen? And all these thoughts, maybe there is a Loch Ness Monster in this lake, you know. <laughs> what, what's... What could happen? I can't see. But even worse, potentially. Now, the sand is great at the beach, but swimming in the ocean, really? You people who do that, I don't get you. I, I don't understand. I could swim in a pool where I can see everything, or I could swim in an ocean where there's sharks. And you start feeling every little thing at your feet, and you start, your mind starts swirling. That could have been a crab, but it could have been a small shark. I don't know. And then I have to remain cool for my kids. Oh, don't worry about it. Inwardly, I'm panicking. So the better alternative is swim in the pool. Swimming in the pool is so fun. You see everything. You can see your feet. And you can go, there's nothing in here to bother me. And I don't have to swim all tight. There's a, there's a freedom and a joy in swimming in a pool. Amen. Can I get some amens in the crowd? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I want you to get that picture in your mind because we swim, here's, here's where I'm going with this, not some great analogy, but I want you to think about this. We swim in the waters of a culture where the, the, the waters of the culture um, are, are expressing and experiencing a love is, that is the only thing they knew, is, is if they, they've only known swimming in lakes and oceans. It's all they know. It's all the world knows of how to give and receive love. And part of being a Christian is to be able to come into the world and to say there's a whole nother water to swim in. There's a greater love to be experienced and expressed. One that where when you swim in it, it's going to be different from how you express love and experience it over here in these waters. But come over here into these waters and swim with me. This is incredible. There's a freedom and a joy in experience in expressing swimming in these waters. The, the, uh, the love of the world, the waters, if you will, of swimming in the love of the world is one that is it's centered on self-protection and pride. Love expressed as the way the, the world expresses love is one that says it's, it's what's in it for me. I will love you as long as there's return on investment. I will love you as long as that there's reciprocal relationship here. I'll love you if it's comfortable. I'll love you if it's easy. It's a self-protected self-righteous, just selfish love. That's how we, and I'm not even going to put it on the world, I'll, I'll put it on us. It's our human hearts. As soon as sin came into the world, it twisted and marred everything, including our hearts and how we give and receive love, how we define love. And so now you and I, apart from the transforming grace of Christ in us, we, that's how we express and receive love. It's very self-centered. But we want to move into, in this series, we want to move into this time where we begin to explore what's a greater love that the Bible gives us, this love of Jesus. A love that's not centered on self-protection and pride, but one on self-sacrifice and humility. 
And it's based upon the very one who came and demonstrated that sacrificial and humble love for us. And we'll get into the the weeds, if you will, of what that looks like. But these first two weeks, Caleb and I are just going to be kind of leading us into those waters. We'll be on the shore. We'll be kind of getting into what are the fundamentals, what are the basics that have to be in place before we start talking about more complex things like how do we love these situations and these people in this context. And we'll get into all those things, but right now we want to fly at 30,000 feet and say, but what has to be true of my heart before I can even begin to ask those questions? Because those situations that we're going to speak to are complex, but the fundamentals have to be in place. It's like football. I love football, but modern football is incredibly complex. My father coached uh, college football for a while and coached defensive backs, and I remember him telling me when I, when I coached defensive backs in the, in the mid-70s, it was pretty simple. I mean, it was cover one, cover two, cover three, and that was about it. And now you talk to guys, I had the privilege of doing college ministry for 13 years and was, was able to share my faith and disciple and invest in some football players. And you say, hey, tell me about the playbook. And it's, it's like a full-time job. And that's just one of the playbooks, the offensive playbook, the defensive playbook. And it's so complex. And this, this coverage, you shade into this coverage and you disguise this. And then you look like you're playing man-to-man, but you're really playing zone. And then you audible at the line based on what the quarterback does and how they line up. And then if they shift, you audible again. And it's like, what? But here's the point. As complex as modern football is, it always comes back to the fundamentals. Given two teams that are athletically equal, it's always going to come back to who tackles the best, who blocks the best, who throws and runs the best. It's the fundamentals. And that's what we're doing in these first two weeks. What are the fundamentals that are going to prepare our hearts in such a way to where we can actually begin to ask the more complex questions of how do we love with a greater love in the world around us? So turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we'll read verses 12 through 17. I hope you have your Bibles with us and turn there, but if not, it's fine. We have it on the screen. We also have it printed in the bulletin on the back side of your notes. Verse 12, John 15 says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." Now, this is right after Jesus has been telling his disciples, he's been saying to them, abide in me. I'm the true vine, you are the branches. If you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's in this context of him talking about the disciples abiding in him that he comes behind that and he says, okay, in light of this abiding, in light of this step-by-step walking with me, then do this out of that abiding relationship He says, love one another as I have loved you. The natural question is, if if Jesus were to stop the instructions at that point, 
The commandment at that point would be simply, well, how does he love us? What, if he says love like I have loved you, then the logical next question is, well, then how did he love us? But before we get to that, I'm going to give us four things that kind of show us how he loved us. But before we even get to that, I, I want to just address something that, that many of you may be experiencing uh, here this morning. And that's simply this, that you're in a place where if you're honest, and it wouldn't even take much to even admit it, you really struggle with, does God love me? And, and then because of that, you really struggle with, I don't have much love, if any, for him. And I, I'm trying to muster up a love for him, and it's just not there. Part of the reason why we struggle so much there is because so much of the time, it's just so easy to do this. We allow the circumstances and the, uh, the experiences of our lives, we allow those things to dictate whether God loves us or not. And when things are going in, in, incredibly hard, it is so easy to begin to say, but okay, do, does, he, does he love me? I got, I got a text two days ago from a dear friend. And this man has been, in many ways, for the last 10 years, living a, a Job-type life. And if you're not familiar with the Job story in the Bible, it's, it's a story where God allows Satan to do whatever he would do except for kill Job. And so he plagues him with all kinds of physical illnesses, and his children uh, pass away, and he loses all of his riches. And it's just a horrible, hard story to read, but the end of it is so powerful as Job comes back around to trusting and knowing that God loves him. And my friend has, in many ways, walked through and continues to walk through just Job-type circumstances. And then on top of that, I get this text a couple days ago that he's just found out that his wife of many years has breast cancer and that it has spread. How does my friend know that God loves him? How does my friend even begin to muster up a love for God? If it's based on circumstances, then he's probably checked out six, seven, eight years ago by going, okay, by looking at the circumstances around me, there must not be a God who loves. So where do we go before we can even ask the question, are you seeing clearly how God loves you or has loved you through Jesus? What if I'm not there? What if I'm just sick and cold? I don't even experience or believe that God loves me. Where do we go? I'll let one of the greats, um, one of the great preachers in the history of the church take us there and to answer that question for us. This is from a sermon that Charles Spurgeon, also known as C.H. Spurgeon, gave in the late 19th century. He says this, if love grows sick and cold, there is no place so fit for it to go, to go to is the place where it was born, namely the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love was born in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus swept great drops of blood. It was nurtured in Pilate's hall where Jesus bared his back to the plowing of the lash and gave his body to be spit upon and scourged. Love was nurtured at the cross amid the groans of an expiring God beneath the droppings of his blood. It was there that love was nurtured. Bear me witness, children of God, where did your love spring from but from the foot of the cross? If you wish your love when it is sick to be recovered, take it to some of those sweet places Make it sit in the shade of the olive trees and make it stand on the pavement and gaze. 
while the blood is still gushing down. Take it to the cross and bid it look and see afresh the bleeding lamb. And surely this shall make thy love spring from a dwarf into a giant. And this shall fan it from a spark into a flame. To to incite this love within us for God is is to take our eyes off our circumstances and to place them centered on the cross at the foot of the cross, to sit in this place of asking God, would you give me the eyes to see? If it even means that I just need to sit every morning with eyes closed and say, God, let me see Jesus on the cross and let me see him cry out in pain and agony, not just because of the physical pain and agony and the blood that's pouring down for me and my sin, not his sin, but even the spiritual agony that is beyond comprehension that he experienced from having to be separated from the God, his Father, the God of the universe, whom he had known communion with for all of eternity, yet now in this moment of the cross when sin of the world is being poured out on his shoulders, the Father turns his face away, and Jesus cries out with a loud cry, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he cries out for the very ones that he's taking this inexplicable pain and anguish for, and he cries out on our behalf, not because of anything that we've done, but only because of his grace and his mercy and his great love for us. He says, it is finished. And the very ones who have shunned him, the very ones who from that moment in the garden where we took hold of the fruit and we... We ate it. The very ones who have said, I really don't want to have anything to do with you because I can figure out life in my own way, with my own glory, with my own plan. The very ones who spit and mocked on him, he says, I will pursue you and pursue you and pursue you with a love that is inexplicable and unthinkable in every, in every way. We begin to fix our eyes on that greater love and slowly but surely, even as Spurgeon has said here, the spark turns into a flame. When we're there, we're in that place where we begin to ask the question, okay, Lord, I know that you love me. I know that you love me. Even though it's hard sometimes, I know that you do because of the cross. Now I want to love like you love. And then the question is asked, well, then how did he love us? Let me give you four things quickly. First one I've already touched on, just in, even in what I just said. But first, he's loved us sacrificially. Look at verse 12 again, 12 and 13. He says, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he, he gives foreshadowing to his disciples that he, even here in the next couple of days, I will go to the cross. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus went to the cross for us sacrificially. But the motivation behind that second thing is he loved us unconditionally. Look at verse 16 here in the text. He tells his his disciples, he reminds them and, and through them reminds us, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. This was not something that you sought after, disciples. Follower of Christ, this is not something we sought after. We weren't eager for the love of Jesus in our life. He he plucked us from the muck and the mire. And he set his gaze upon us. He, He set his affection upon us. And then he pursued us. 
poured out his grace on us. And it was not because of anything that we had done. There was no level of morality that we could stack up and say, this is why I'm now worthy of your love. Jesus looked at me and he said, you, are, you will never be worthy of my love, but yet I will love you. He loved us selflessly. Look at Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says this. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is commands that are coming by God through the Apostle Paul. And we're about to read the rest of that text where it says, have the same mind of Jesus, this selfless mind. You may ask the question, how is selflessness and sacrifice different? Well, sacrifice is the end of selflessness. That when we move towards others in the same way that Christ has moved towards us with this selfless mindset, it ends in sacrifice. It ends in dying to self in the same way that Jesus was selfless and died to himself. And then lastly, he loved us humbly. Look at the rest of this text that we started in Philippians. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So he loved us sacrificially. He loved us unconditionally. He loved us selflessly and then he loved us humbly. He didn't consider equality with God something to, to be grasped. In other words, he he could have stayed in heaven in perfect communion with the Father. But he left that with this humble mindset that not only am I going to come as the incarnate God in the flesh, but I'm going to take on the form of human flesh. And I'm going to be tempted in every way that they are, yet without sin. And I'm going to experience all that they experience. And I'm going to be sinless through it all. And I'm going to pay the penalty that they should pay. And then I'm going to defeat the penalty of sin itself, which is death, for them. So the question becomes, if God, through Christ, has loved us this way, then how, how do we love? The disposition of our sin-ridden hearts is to love selfishly. I've said this before, but I want to dig into this a little bit more and just tell you where I struggle with this and see if you identify. The way I want to love is I want to love where what I stand on, what's fueling my love is self-comfort. I want to I surround myself with people and love people who are easy to love. It's that simple. I want to love people who like what I like. Who I can have easy conversation with. Who share my hobbies. Who may be at the same stage of life that I am. Who don't exhaust me. When I walk into a room and I... And I see in a, in a room, maybe a couple hundred folks, the nature of my heart, apart from the work of Jesus, is, is that I want to immediately begin to dissect the room and figure out where are the groups and which one do I want to go to most and show my love there. And unless Jesus takes hold of my heart and moves me in a different direction, I will always go to the ones who are most like me, who are easy to love. I don't want to go to the people who suck the life out of me. 
I don't want to go to the person who I can tell has no one to talk to in the room and that if I go talk to that person, I'll be stuck in a 25-minute conversation that I don't want to be in. It dawns on me, do you think we suck the life out of Jesus? Quite literally. You think it was convenient for him to come in the form of human flesh and to take on the role of a servant? Do you think it was desirable for him to go on the cross and bleed for hours, be separated from the Father, take upon the sin of the world? We know that it was not necessarily something he desperately wanted to do, but love compelled him because in the garden he said, if there be any other way, then take this cup from me. And the Father spoke to him and said, there's no other way. And he said, okay, your will be done. But emotionally, he knew what was coming, and we identify with that. We say, I, I, these people are hard to love, and Jesus says, yeah, I, I know. You are too. Love like I love. Move towards people like I've moved towards you. Jesus said it this way. Listen to the words from Luke 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is, is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Let me pause and just say Jesus is saying sinners in a, a little bit of a sarcastic way because we know, and he made very clear in all of his teachings, that everyone is, is sinners. He's talking to some Jewish people here, the Pharisees, who, who look down upon people who they say are sinners. They use that language. Those are sinners, and they think they're above that, that they actually don't sin. And so he's using their words against them. He's saying, look. Hey, even sinners do that. What value is it to you? And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. First question that I wanted you to consider is, do you see with clear eyes the way that Christ has loved you? But the second question that comes off of that is this. If you do see how he's loved you, then the question is, will you love others like Jesus has loved you? And if we're going to love others like Jesus has loved us, then we have to understand that when he says at the end of Luke 6 in verse 35 that we just read, he says that he is kind to the ungrateful and evil, we have to embrace that's us. That's me. That's not someone out there. That's me. I was ungrateful and evil before his pardoning grace invaded my life. Before his love washed over me, that was me. We have to understand that I am the broken one. I am the needy one. I am different. I am marginalized. I am the poor. I am an inconvenience. I am difficult. I am wayward. I am petty. I'm ungrateful. I'm selfish. I'm exhausting. I'm troubled. I'm weak. I'm unkind. I'm spoiled. I'm bratty. I'm fake. I'm a hypocrite. I'm self-righteous. I'm self-protective. I'm selfish, I'm a sinner, I'm ungrateful and evil, unless God. And yet, in spite of all that, God pursues me 
and pursues me and pursues me and winsomely loves me. And he moves towards me and he moves towards me and he moves towards me even when I don't want to be pursued. And the question becomes, if Jesus says in John 15 verse 12, this is my commandment to you, love as I have loved you, then we go, I got to love like he loves me. I got to move towards the ones that aren't natural for me to move towards. I gotta get out of my comfort zone and move towards the places of discomfort for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom going forth. And here's the key, I can't do it. You can't do it. We will not love that way unless we are so enthralled with the love of Jesus presented to us in the gospel and we are so empowered by his spirit within us, we actually begin to do the very thing he's called us to do that we can't do unless he is empowering us. What would it look like, Perimeter Church? Dream about this. Like, seriously, go home, think about it, dream about it. Think about it so much that you literally dream about what would Perimeter Church look like? What waves of transformation would be happening in the communities around us if we love like Jesus loved? In our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. That the natural inclination of our heart would not be that when I'm at the stop sign and I see the, the man over there with a sign that says hungry for food, that it wouldn't be that I automatically assume that he hasn't gotten his life together enough, that, that he should have done something to not be in that situation, but it would just be filled with compassion the way that Jesus stepped off the boat and he said, I looked upon the masses and his heart was filled with compassion. It was not, they should have gotten their act together. And the natural dispositions of our heart doesn't become one that says, that stinks for him, but I've got somewhere to be. But it would be, roll down the window, hey bro, I'm gonna pull over here, let's talk. To love like Jesus is uncomfortable and it's inconvenient and I stink at it. But I wanna grow. I wanna grow. And I want you to grow with me. And I dream of a day where Perimeter Church is seeing things happen that are crazy. Because the love of God, the greater love of God is going through us in a way that's just awesome. Two and a half years ago, we moved here. Some of you are about to get really nervous right now. Two and a half years ago, we moved here and I love playing guitar. I've played for about 20 years, do not be impressed. I plateaued about year three, played the same songs for 17 years. But I do love to play guitar, and it was one of my favorite things to kind of get away into my room or back porch or whatever and just strum for a little bit. And even some, some, some time with God, I would make up songs and sing them to the Lord, and you would not have wanted to hear that. It was not like something we'd ever sing up here because I'm not a songwriter, but it was from my heart. But when we moved here, I have an old cheap guitar. I didn't even have a case for it. I don't have a stand for it, none of that. So when we moved here in the moving van, it got all banged up, and three strings are broken on it right now. And for two and a half years, it sat in the corner of my room, unplayed, collecting dust. A couple days ago, I was looking at it, and I thought, you know, I really miss playing that thing. And so just, I don't know what compelled me to do this. I went over to it, and I just said, I wonder what it sounds like with two good strings and out of tune, and it sounded something similar to this. That's supposed to be a G. 
It's painful, right? But then I got to thinking, what if, what if I kept that guitar for so long in that condition that it actually became normal to me that I thought this is what guitars were supposed to sound like? That I actually thought that I played it enough in this way that I thought, that's music. Oh, and that's beautiful. Listen to that. Oh, yes. No, no. That, but if that were true, where that, that was how my ears were tuned to hear beautiful music. And then that's all I knew. Well, think about the world, Right? The world knows love in a way to where it's all they know. They only know how to love selfishly. You and I, apart from Jesus, we only know how to love selfishly. It's not natural to us to love like Jesus. And so the world plays a tune that they think is beautiful, and it's just this. And the church, because of the gospel, we know a different tune. We know a different song, and we hear that, and we go, there's, so, there's such greater love to be experienced and expressed. And we say, yeah, I know you think that's a G. I know you think that that's a beautiful song, and I know you think that's love. But what if we actually began to move to, towards the world with a song where our hearts are in tune with God's heart? With God's heart. That what we play to the world around us is in tune with His. And we start playing chords that sound like this. And the world who's never known this type of love hears that and they go, whoa, what was that? And so we play it louder and more often. And then we throw in different chords. And they go, this is unique, this is different. Tell me more about this. And it's not just in how we live, it's in what we say. Our words are filled and they're dripping with, from our lips with this love that is, that is so unnatural. And our actions, our hands and our feet are taking us to places where they go, no one wants to go here, but yet the church seems to keep coming here. What, what is that? And we say, listen, it's the melodic love of Jesus to where their hearts are engaged, a world that is desperate to hear the melody of the love of Jesus is engaged in ways that inviting them to church and me or Randy or Caleb or Bob preaching at them is never going to go never going to get there unless God's people are loving the way he's called us to love. And we play over and over again. And they come, not necessarily to the doors of this church, but into our lives. And transformation happens. Let's believe God for what he can do through us in demonstrating and proclaiming his greater love. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time together. And Lord, thank you for your love that is so much greater. So much more powerful and winsome than any love that we've ever known. You've rescued us from the muck and the mire, from the sin and the dredge of our sin. You've rescued us from hell. And God, we just simply ask that you would so work in us, that we would be so enthralled with the melodic, melodic song of your, of your love, that we would be filled and empowered with you to go sing those same songs, our words and our actions and everything that we do to a lost world around us. Lord, you say in your word, the love of Christ compels us. Would you compel us for your glory in Jesus' name?
Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.